0: Good morning, morning. it's good to see you here. I don't know about you, but when I wake up and it's kind of like cold and rainy, I'm just like, you know, a little sleepy, probably because I did too much canoeing yesterday. That was a lot of fun, though. Um, But we're glad you're here. We are studying the book of Ephesians. So if you will open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. That's where we left off of last week. We're not going to have the main passage up on the screen. And that's because we want you to get familiar with your own Bibles. So if that's a Bible on your phone, like you have an app, the YouVersion app, it's a very popular Bible app. That's cool. You can get out your cell phone and look it up. If you have a paper Bible, that's great. If you don't have a Bible, there's some kind of scattered in the rows. You can kind of look around and it shouldn't be too hard to find one or find somebody who can pass you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one that you find here. Not somebody else's that has like their name engraved on it, but, you know, <laughs> um, take one that you find in the row. We want you to have your own Bible. We believe it is God's word that God has given to us to set us free. Amen. And um, so we're diving into Ephesians. Ephesians has been called the constitution of the church. There's actually quite a few Bibles right up here. Um, But it's called the Constitution of the Church. And we're studying the Ephesians to answer these questions. What is the church? And how do we be the church? I mean, we need to know the answers to those questions to know why we even bother gathering here on Sunday mornings, right? Um, But those questions are also important because right now, it seems like in the United States, Christians are kind of struggling. With being the church. Um, Stories about scandals and splits and divisions in churches are becoming more frequent. Some of you may be here because you were hurt in a different church. Some of you probably know people who were hurt in a church and maybe are just kind of staying away. Like COVID became kind of a good excuse just to kind of stay away. And people's trust and faith in the church has diminished a little bit. And yet we see other churches that are doing great things and are thriving. So what is the difference? And how do we tell if we're just kind of going through the motions of being church or if we're truly the church of Jesus Christ? So that's why we're looking at Ephesians. There's six chapters in Ephesians. We've gone through one and half of chapter two so i'm just going to give you a very quick recap in chapter one we saw how paul modeled how to deal with disillusionment with the church or with other christians he was writing to a church in ephesus some things were going well there some things were not going well there there were people fighting and brawling (laughs) you know they were struggling and so he writes and he in that first chapter he kind of lays the ground, he he models what to do when we're struggling with disillusionment. That the first thing we do is we focus on what God has done for us. Not on what other people are doing that's irritating us, but focus on what God has done for us. And the second thing Paul did is he reminded us that the Holy Spirit is a deposit, guaranteeing all the spiritual blessings that are to come that we when we begin to follow Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and begins to bear this good fruit right love joy peace that kind of stuff self-control but it's just a deposit we don't get all the spiritual blessings at once they kind of grow slowly over time and so Paul reminds us look at what the Holy Spirit is doing and patiently wait, because that's a deposit of what is to come. The third thing that Paul does and he models for us is that we're to be grateful for one another. Give thanks for one another. give thanks for what God is doing in each other's lives. Amen. And according to Paul, there's a lot to be thankful for. And that's where we hit chapter 2, and where Paul talks about how, just remember, before you knew Christ, you were like Zombies. You know, I know many of you are waiting for me to reenact the zombies. Uh, But he says, you weren't really living. You were dead in your sins. Just kind of walking through life, satisfying your cravings. For some of us, that might be like cravings for pleasure. For others, that's like, cravings to feel important and worthy and, and and achieve things you know and and we the, we just these cravings just drive us and even worse in, in verse 2 chapter 2 verse 2 paul says that we're like zombies we're, we're not living and we're following the spirit that is at work in everyone who is disobedient that's satan so we're not even really in control of our lives I don't know if you've seen the movie Thor Ragnarok. Some of you, yeah. And there's this scene where Hela, she's the goddess of death. And she like raises these dead people, the dead army, like this an undead zombie army. And then they just kind of mindlessly follow her. That's the picture that Paul paints of how we were before Christ. We just have these cravings we gotta I have to be important I have to achieve I you know And and we don't even realize that we're just like mindlessly following satan But christ saves us from that He gives us life and he gives us purpose too He raises us from being a zombie to being a superhero It's like we join the Avengers or something. We're part of this team, but it's much better than the Avengers. We're we're part of the body of Christ, and we're seated in the heavenly realms. We have this authority. And even though we individually don't have power, through the Holy Spirit, the incomparably great power of God is in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And we're to be filled with that power and take that power and the presence of Christ out into the world because it heals and it sets free other people. Amen. Resurrecting them from the zombie life. That's our mission. That's, that's the superhero team that we're a part of. Except we don't always want to go to people and set them free. Because <laughs> we don't always like other people that much. I feel like there's kind of a lot of that been going around in the United States lately. That I don't like them. You know, like, we're so focused on everything that divides us and how we don't like other people. Well, that's where chapter 2, verse 11 picks up. Right there. With that problem. You see, Paul is writing to a church... That has Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in it. And Jews and Gentiles did not like each other. They had a long history of not liking each other. Before we dive into the scripture, let me just kind of flesh that out for you a little bit. Jews don't like Gentiles. Well, let's just start here. Jews thought there were only two types of people in the world. There were Jews. They were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And everybody else. That was it. If you're a Jew, you're God's chosen people. If you're not, you're a Gentile. That's, that's racism, isn't it? Yeah. Why did the Jews think they were so special? Because they were God's chosen people. Yeah. The Bible says they were chosen. And that God chose them to be a light to everybody else the gentiles right they were the, everybody else let's look at this um isaiah 42 6 i will have non-ephesian verses up there for you if you okay isaiah 42 6 i the lord have called you he's speaking to the people of israel um in righteousness i have called you in righteousness i have i will take hold of your hand That's a picture of how he, he took them out of captivity in Egypt and he called them to right living. Why did he do this? I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. He, he called them and he gave them this land and he gave them these rules and commands So they could be at peace with one another so they could be at peace with god and that would be a light To everyone else Of how to be at peace with one another and how to be at peace with god Now, why did he choose them for this mission? I mean he had to choose somebody Right, somebody has to be the first one to kind of shine the light and show the way. Why did he choose them? Because Abraham, he loved Abraham. The Bible does say that. Yeah, he loved Abraham. It's interesting because he rescues them out of Egypt, takes them to the desert. They're at the edge of the promised land. At that time, it was called Canaan. And he warns them before they go into Canaan about thinking they've been chosen because they're better than other people. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 9, chapter 4. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, meaning the people that were currently living in the land, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No. It is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. We know, um, not just from the Bible, we know from archaeology that the people there, they were child sacrifices. Temple prostitution, which is sex trafficking, enslaving prostitutes for religious purposes. Um, They were constantly at war. They were a very violent culture. And the Bible talks about how God had waited and waited for them. And finally, they they just didn't repent. And their fullness of their wickedness came. And so God cast them out of the land. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness. And like The third time he said it, that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people, I meaning stubborn, all right? He, like, look, it's not because you're better than everybody else that you're getting chosen for this assignment. In another verse, he says it's because you were the least of people. You had nothing to brag about. You were slaves. That's why I chose you. So you couldn't say it was because of how good you were. And I think God... Put them right there in that land of Canaan for a very specific geographic purpose too. In the ancient world, Canaan was the gateway to everything else. Like if you wanted to travel between Africa over to Asia or Europe, there was this big Arab desert. And the only way to travel through was to go through the land of Canaan. And God put them there at that gateway to be a light so that everyone who was traveling through would see, it's different here. They don't sacrifice their kids here. They don't enslave one another here. They they have ways of taking care of the poor. They they're, they have an economy that is fair. They're like, they're God and his laws are good. And Gentiles would travel through and they would be converted. And the Jews begrudgingly let them worship God. They actually built this wall around the temple that the Gentiles couldn't get past. So they could only come so close to the temple and then the Jews would go inside and worship. And there was literally a wall that divided them as they worshiped God. And yet, when they started to know Christ and follow Christ, that wall came down. And now Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles, and they are meeting in one another's homes and worshiping God. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. And that's where we pick up in Ephesians 2.11. All right. Therefore... Remember that formally, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is just done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, Jews and Gentiles, He's made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in His flesh the law with His command, with its commandments and regulations. Now why does He say Christ is Torn down the dividing wall by abolishing the law and commandments. You see, even though there was no longer a physical wall dividing the Jews and Gentiles as they're worshiping God, there was still this invisible wall of the Jewish law. The Jews had all of these rules. What to eat, what not to eat, what to dress hygiene rules they had lots of hygiene rules that's where we get the saying cleanliness is next to godliness it's not from the bible but that's why because the jews had like pages and pages of hygiene rules and so the jewish christians were following these rules and they were coming into the houses of gentiles and they're like they don't even wash their hands before they eat And they were looking down on the Gentile Christians like they just weren't as spiritual and they're just not as pure because they're not following all these laws. You see, if before Christ, Gentiles were were zombies, you know, just fulfilling our cravings to feel important or for pleasure or whatever. Before Christ, Jews were religious zombies. There are religious zombies. Must obey God to be worthy. Must obey to be better than others, to be special. There are religious zombies. Some of you last week when I talked about how before Christ we were zombies, that might not have resonated with you. You might be like, used to live that way, just fulfilling my cravings? I, I understand that because before Christ, I wasn't that kind of zombie, but I was a religious zombie. I grew up a pastor's kid. I grew up knowing everything right to do and everything wrong not to do, and I was very good at it. And I found that I'd be admired for my ability to follow the rules. And so I would follow and keep all the rules because that made me feel admirable. I felt like this, my sense of worth came from being good. I had to be good. I was a religious zombie. The Jews were supposed to obey these laws of God so they would be a light, so they'd be a blessing. But instead they were obeying these laws so they would be blessed, so God would reward them for their good behavior, and so that they could feel special like they were better than other people. And God wasn't impressed. Amen. He wasn't impressed. And Christ came along and said, look, your rule keeping that you think makes you so great and so wonderful. It's its like filthy rags. It's not saving you. You're still sinning. Even though you're obeying all the rules, you're still sinning. But I love you. And I've paid your sin debt. You can't do it. You can't pay your debt by being good and trying to make up for it. By keeping all these rules. But I've paid your sin debt. And Christ says, if you follow me, I will give you a new heart. And then you can be a blessing to others. He's... Christ has torn down that dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations I'm reading in verse 15 His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two Thus making peace. So there's no longer Jews and Gentiles now. There's just Christ followers And in this one body To reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near. I love that verse. Of God coming and preaching peace to those who were far away from God. But also those who were near to God. Why did Christ have to preach peace to the Jews? who were so near to God, who were so religious? Why did he have to preach peace to them? Because they didn't have it. They weren't at peace with God. Do you realize it is possible to be so close to God and not at peace with God? Where you know everything that you're supposed to know. You know all the theology and the doctrine and you know all the rules and what to do and what not to do But you still don't have peace with god Because you think your worth comes From your ability to keep the rules And god says no your worth comes because I love you and i've chosen you and I love you who keep the rules just as much as I love the one who's so far from me, they don't even know what the rules are. Christ loves us, and that's why he tears down the wall of religious rule-keeping that divides the religious haves and the religious have-nots. And he builds us up together to be a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Look at verse 22. And in him, you two are being built together. You're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. And then we hit chapter 3. And the beginning of chapter 3, the, the first half, we're going to come back to next week, okay? And that part, Paul talks about how his superhero mission that he was given was to preach... And share the good news about Jesus with the Gentiles. And we're gonna look at that next week when we look at, you know, we've, if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we're following Christ, we've been risen to life, we're no longer living the zombie life, we're part of the Avengers, right? We're part of the superhero team. We have this mission, but that's gonna be unique. According to the way God has gifted you and according to your story and your history and everything, it's going to be unique in each one of you, how you're going to carry that out. And so we'll look at that next week. We'll look at how it was unique for Paul and and how it can be unique for us. But for right now, we're going to skip ahead to verse 14. If you look at chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I just think about that Christ dwelling in your hearts This is where we get the language about asking jesus into our hearts to be saved We want him to dwell in us In revelations. It also says that jesus says I stand at the door and knock And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door to me I will come into them and I will dine with them and they with me. It's this It's this picture of Jesus coming into us and dwelling in us. Can you just, like, in your imagination, just Christ just, like, sitting down and dwelling inside of you, hanging out there, living inside of you. It's the same idea that Paul talks about, how we are to be filled with the presence of Christ. Just Christ dwelling in us. Continuing in verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, with all, you know, your fellow Avengers. That <laughs> you may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Paul is returning to that same language that he used in chapter 1, that we are to be filled with the fullness of God, with the presence of Christ. And some of you, you think about that and you think about next week and you're excited for next week because you're, you're excited to, like, all right, how do I do this? Or how do I do this better? That I have Christ living in me and His presence and His power. How do I take it out into the world and, and help set other people free and, and impact others? Like, and you're on fire and you're excited about that and you, you want to know how you're uniquely designed to do that. And some of you are like, you're not there yet. Like, you're not excited. Some of you are just like, trying to get through each day, you know? Like I think of my daughter, she's, she just started high school. <laughs> like, gotta survive high school, right? Or I gotta survive my boss, or... You don't need one more thing to do, cause life is already pretty overwhelming. Take a look at verse 19 again. How are we filled with the presence of Christ? How do we do that? How do we become filled with this presence? What does it say? Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled being filled with the presence of Christ. It's not something we strive for. It's not something we try to achieve. It's something we know, that we know how much he loves us. We just stop and contemplate what Christ has done for you, how much he loves you. And that fills you with his presence and his goodness. It's something we pray that we'll be under, able to understand his love for us. And that's how we become filled. And, and when we're filled, Paul says um, up in verse 17, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love he's using an agricultural uh, metaphor here that we are to be rooted in the love of Christ. And I saw some other pastor do this. I don't even remember his name, so I can't take credit for it and I can't give him credit for it. But he was talking about this and he said, look, it's like a tree rooted in good soil. We're to be rooted in the love of Christ, right? Now, when a tree is rooted in good soil, does it have to work hard to bear fruit? Like, it's like... Okay, I gotta produce twelve apples today. Here we go. You know This was just trying to squeeze them out, you know? No. When a tree is rooted in good soil, it just naturally produces fruit. Good fruit. That then can bless other people, right? And that's how it is when we are rooted in the love of Christ. That that love just fills us and we naturally start to produce good fruit. Things like joy and peace. Being patient with people. Being kind with them. And so no matter how hectic and crazy our day is, there's still this fruit coming out of us. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed and like, oh man, superhero missions, give me a break. I don't have time for that. This week, just take some time to rest and reflect in how much God loves you. Set aside, get aside from some busyness and just think and pray about that. And how much he not only loves you, but how much he loves those who are far from him. We'll read it one more time. Verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I love what comes next. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I know uh, today as I was preaching, I skipped around Ephesians a lot. I was pulled from ephesians 1 i pulled from ephesians 2 i pulled from ephesians 3 and i know it can be hard to follow along when i do that that's why i asked you every week to read the six pages of ephesians Um, because paul is he is weaving this tapestry for us of what the church is and who we are And each verse is like a little thread in the tapestry. And if you're only looking at one verse, at one thread, you miss the beautiful picture. So I ask you to keep reading six pages every week so you can better grasp how this and this and this and this is all being woven together for this picture of who we are as a church, okay? And keep praying for one another. We see here that Paul, he has all these prayers woven through Ephesians. Um, chapter 1, we we wrote little prayers. I, have, I still have my post-it. Some of you weren't here two weeks ago, but we wrote little prayers on post-its to pray while we read Ephesians. Just a simple one sentence. And mine was, Lord, help us better know you and be your church. That's based on the prayer in chapter 1. I think I might update it to the Lord, help us better know your love. Based on what Paul is writing in chapter 3. But keep reading it and praying just one simple sentence prayer for each other, okay? Let's, Let's close with prayer now. God, as I, as I read and I study Ephesians, I, I'm getting the sense that the church is much greater and grander than than we can even fathom. And there's so much more for us than we can even ask or imagine. And so God, I pray that you continually remind us what you have done in us, what you have done for us. I pray you will help us realize that incomparably great power for us who believe our spiritual inheritance in Christ. God, I pray you will grow in us gratitude for each other and how you have brought us together to be your body. And we will appreciate our teammates. God, I pray you will open our eyes and help us understand how, how you have designed each one of us to uniquely carry your presence into the world and help other people. Most of all, Lord, I pray what Paul prays. And I pray that out of your glorious riches, God, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner beings. So that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we will be rooted and established in love. Not in insecurities, not in ambition, but in your love, God and we may have power together with all the saints those here in our church and god we pray for all of your followers around the world lord that we may have power together with all of them to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of christ and to know this love even though it surpasses knowledge, God, that you will spiritually gift us to know and understand so that we may be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Amen. And that we give you the glory, Lord, because we know you are able to do infathomably more than all we could ask or imagine. To you be the glory, In Christ Jesus, our Lord, throughout all generations. Amen.